This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We need to have a vision of a big God. When we're faced with complications with our blood, not knowing if there's a blood clot, Something like that. We need a vision of a big God. A big God who's able to handle our situation. When our kids have become rebellious and we just don't know what is going on in their heads. We need a vision of a big God. When we've lost a loved one. We need a vision of a big God. And when we battle with sin in our own lives, we need a vision of a big God. The uh, Puritan writer um, Thomas Chalmers has a famous sermon. Uh, The title says it all. It's uh, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in that, he, he shares how in the battle against sin... What we need is a new affection that comes in our our love for God, our, our vision of this big, great, and holy God comes in and expels out our other desires, our sinful desires. And so we need a vision of a big God. And that's what Isaiah gives us here in chapter 6. Isaiah, uh, this is his calling. When God had called him to be a prophet, to go and proclaim to Israel. And Isaiah gets this vision of a big God. Let's read our text. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy 
and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. Lord, you are big and glorious. You hold the world in your hands. And we are so small and insignificant, yet you loved us. And you you condescended to speak to us in your word. And you condescended to humble yourself and become a human being among us and to suffer And die in our behalf. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand and obey. And Lord, I pray that you would give me grace, give me strength uh, as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Who was King Uzziah? Uzziah was the king of Judah. Now when we say he was the king of Judah, we remember there was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The kingdom that David had ruled over was split in two. And we think back to David whenever He ruled over a unified kingdom. All of the tribes of Israel. And David was promised by God. uh, He he was promised that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. And David's son Solomon became king after him. Solomon was the wisest of all. We have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and others that were written by him. And yet his son, Rehoboam, was not wise. And because of his foolish decisions, because he did not listen to the voice of wisdom of the elders, uh, the, the kingdom was split in two. You had Israel then in the north. And Judah in the south. Well, Israel, you had many, many kings that followed after that. And most of them were bad. You had Ahab and Jezebel. And you can think of those names. In the south, you had some good kings and some bad kings. But in the south, in Judah, they were all the kings of the line of David. There was a promise 
that God had made and he was keeping it. In spite of the foolishness of Rehoboam, in spite of the split of the kingdom, there continued to be a Davidic king on the throne. And here we come to the time of Isaiah. We come to the time when Uzziah had been king on the throne. And Uzziah, he was king of Judah and he had reigned for about 50 years. He had been on the throne in a time of prosperous, uh, a prosperous living. Uh, it was peaceful. Uzziah was a, was a good king as well. Uzziah had been king for such a long time that most of the people probably had no memory of any other king. So there was stability. Uh, stability of, of having the same king for such a long period of time. And there was prosperity. And yet, this time of peace and prosperity and this time of stability was coming to an end because King Uzziah died. And so when King Uzziah died and there was a, a sense of instability, not knowing what was going to happen, Isaiah needed a vision of a big God. And Isaiah saw, it says, the Lord. He saw the Lord. The Bible tells us no one can see God and live, right? Moses He asked to be, to be shown the glory of God. And, and God says, no one can see me and live. But he passes by and Moses is able to see just the backsides, it tells, the text tells us, of God. But here, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. He is exalted. He is big. And it says he was sitting on a throne. Isn't that significant? The king of Judah. The king who had, lit, who had been king for 50 years. The king who had been in charge of a time of prosperity and stability had died. And yet Isaiah looks up and he sees God sitting on a throne. Amen. When things seem... Like they're falling apart in our lives. When things seem like the world is just going to hell. We need a vision of a big God who's sitting on his throne. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Just down to the bottom of the robe, the, the hem, the little corner piece of his robe filled the temple. That's how big God was in this vision that he appeared to Isaiah in. His, just the corner of his robe filled the temple. It says, above him stood the seraphim. 
Who are these seraphim? They're angelic beings. And from the word seraph means burning. It's, it's like bright and shining, like on fire, these seraphim. These angelic beings. And it says, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Imagine these angelic beings, these flaming, bright, angelic beings on the, on the sides above God in this vision. And they had these six wings. And remember, they had to cover their face because God was so holy and so majestic that they couldn't even look at Him. Even the angels had to cover their face because God was so holy. And with two, they covered their feet. And we think of Moses who was standing there at the burning bush and was told to take off your sandals because of the place where you're standing is holy ground. They had, these angels even had to cover their feet. And with two, they flew. So they didn't even touch the ground. And it says, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In Hebrew, when you want to emphasize something to the maximum possibility, you say it three times. An adjective that you want to maximize to the, the highest possible sense, you say it three times. So, these angelic beings, these seraphim were calling out and they were, they were telling each other, God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Amen. He's holy to the maximum possibility of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If you look in your Bibles, you see that when it says the Lord there, it's using the divine name. It's in all capital letters. Sometimes whenever you are reading your Bible and you see uh, the Lord, where the first letter is capitalized and the others are lowercase, that would be the word that's Adonai, the word for Lord. But whenever you see the Lord spelled out in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capitals, those, that's the divine name. The Yahweh. That's, that's what that is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. Now, what is that? We, we, we sing a song sometimes. We sing, uh, a mighty fortress is our God. You know the song? A mighty fortress is our God. And in that song, there's a line that sometimes, I think it, it threw me until I actually studied some of the language. It says, Lord Sabaoth his name. And I always thought maybe that was something about the Sabbath. But no, no. Sabaoth, that's the word for hosts. He's the Lord of hosts. And what is a host? 
It's armies. So these angelic beings, these seraphim, are calling out one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies. He is big, He is glorious, He is holy, and He commands the armies of heaven. We need to know that in our time of trouble, in our time of distress, that God commands the armies of heaven, and He can command them to come to us in our time of need, in our time when we need protection, in our time when we are fearful We have faith in the God of armies. The whole earth is full of His glory. I want us to remember back, it said, the corner of His robe filled the temple, and the whole earth is filled with His glory. Think of the contrast there. The temple being a a big thing, you know, a a huge building. It was just only the corner of his robe could fit there. But yet the whole earth, all of creation was filled with his glory. And that word glory, it's the word, it has the idea of heaviness, weightiness. When we see a vision of God in His glory, we need to feel a sense of awe and the weight of that. The weight of His glory. It ought to bowl us over to think of His glory. And then it says, the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And remember, this is just the angel talking. (laughs) The angels, one was calling to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook. Imagine if it was God calling out those things. These are just the angels. And the foundations of the temple shook. At the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. How does Isaiah respond to this vision? He responds the way we should. We sing sometimes very lightly about wanting to be in God's presence as if it's just a a small thing. When Isaiah stood in God's presence, he said, woe is me. If we're going to be in God's presence, we need to be prepared to be crushed. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is devastated. He says, woe is me. 
I am lost. Some other translations say, I am undone. The, the, the original language has the idea of, of being loosed. It's, he's just, every socket is out of joint. He's just been totally crushed by the glory and the weight of Almighty God. I am lost. For I, he, he looks at his sin. When, when Isaiah saw a vision of the holy God, what was his response? It was woe and it was in response to his own sin. I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I've got a filthy mouth. And he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm no better than anybody else that I live around. I'm sinful. How can I stand in the presence of this holy God? And he says, my eyes have seen the King. It reminds us of the first verse. Isaiah, Uzziah had died. Uzziah, the king, had died. Everything was unstable. Things that had been secure for many years now seemed to be shaken. And Isaiah is not so concerned about that anymore. He's now shaken because he's seen the true King, the King, the Lord of hosts. Then, in response, after Isaiah is broken, after he is devastated by seeing the Lord and His holiness and His greatness and His majesty, then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. The seraphim took a coal from the altar. We think of an altar. What is an altar all about? It's a place of sacrifice. And we think of the, the temple sacrifices. We think of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And year after year, day after day, sacrifices were being made in the temple. And the purpose for those sacrifices was to atone for sin. But yet they all pointed forward to a greater sacrifice the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who came to be our sacrifice, to be our substitute. So I think when this angel comes with a tongue from the altar, it's symbolizing his sin was taken away. Not by the blood of bulls and goats as as David had written about, he said, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But it was Jesus. 
the true Lamb of God, the true sacrifice. The angel says to him, well, let me back up. Where does it touch him? In his mouth. His sin that he had, he had confessed, my, I, have, I'm a per, I have unclean lips, right? And the angel touches the very point of his sin with the coal from the tongs of the altar, cleanses him purifies him and says your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves of what the angel said. What the seraphim said. He says to Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your substitute, as your sacrifice, behold, He has taken away your guilt. Your sin has been atoned for. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ today, you are clean. You can stand before the presence of a holy God, not on the basis of your own works, not on the basis of anything in you, but wholly on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ, who has cleansed you. And taken away your guilt. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need that preached to us. If we believe in Jesus, He has washed us. He has cleansed us. He has taken away our guilt. We do not have to live with guilt and sin any longer. He has taken it away. He has forgiven our sins. And then it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. Notice the order here. He was cleansed first, and then he was called. When Jesus cleanses us, when we place our faith totally on him, and he washes us free of our sins, he cleans us, he takes away our guilt, he calls us then. To go to a world that is lost and dying. To take the same message of salvation to them. After cleansing comes calling. And we got to keep the order right. It's not good enough just to go and do good deeds. And think we can somehow make ourselves acceptable to God by feeding the poor and 
advocating for righteous laws and things like that, if we have not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, then all of our good deeds are in our own strength and they don't accomplish anything. The order is important. Cleansing first and then calling. He said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest we, they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. The first thing I want us to see about this is the Lord told Isaiah, go and say this. He gives him instructions about what to say. Isaiah is not just sent out without a message to just do whatever he feels like. No, He's told, go and say this. To, to, uh, go and say to this people. And then we see the content of what he's to say. Preachers today, and all of us, when we share the, the gospel, when we share in evangelism, we are not at liberty to just make it up as we go along. But He has given us what to say in His Word. And though there are some rough edges that people don't like, we know they don't like it when we talk about sin. They don't like it when we talk about repentance and having to turn from our sin and and walk a new life. People don't like that. But that's what we've been given to say. And we cannot water it down. And what is Isaiah called to say? Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Jesus talks about these words. When he tells the story of the parable of the sowers of the sower in his explanation of the parable of the sower he he talks about this verse in fact Jesus quotes this verse pretty often in his ministry you can see it in the gospels people didn't believe what Jesus was doing right in front of them he raised people from the dead and yet they were blind the people that were watching it were blind to it They could not see because their hearts were darkened. And this is one way in which the life of Jesus was very much like what Isaiah was called to. Isaiah was called to go and preach to people who were not going to listen to him. He was called to preach. And the things we need to remember from that is God required faithfulness, not results. 
He required faithfulness. He said, this is what you're going to say. And he, he required him to be faithful to the message. And in our own ministry, in our own preaching and evangelism, he calls us to be faithful. Paul said, I, wa- I planted, Apollos watered, yet God provides the increase. The results are not ours to manipulate. The mon- results are not ours to try to, to make people guilted into. We preach the gospel. We say it how it is, how it's been revealed in Scripture. And God calls people to Himself. He draws people to Himself. Isaiah then says, How long, O Lord? (laughs) That would be our question. That would be any preacher's question. God tells Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach to these people and they're not going to listen to you. And how long? (laughs) How long, O Lord, will I have to do this? You're telling me it's going to be an unsuccessful ministry. (laughs) How long? Am I going to, I want to know before I sign up for this, how long am I going to have to be preaching with no one listening? No results. Just imagine how Isaiah must have felt. And the Lord answers. Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant. The houses without people. The land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes the people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach to these people and nobody's going to listen until there's nobody left. They're going to be all gone. Imagine how encouraged Isaiah must have felt. (laughs) You're just going to go and you're going to preach and it's going to be bad and it's going to get worse. Look at the next verse. And though a tenth remain in it, It will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The image God gives is is the people are going to be taken away. It's like a tree that's cut down and then there's a stump that's there that's left. And then that's going to be burned. So the people are all going to be taken away and then it's going to be raised again. Isaiah's got to be feeling on top of the world by this point. (laughs) No. He's saying it's going to be bad and it's going to get worse. What's going to sustain Isaiah in the middle of all that? He's got to have a vision of a big God. He's got to be able to see the king on his throne. And when we are in places in our lives where it gets bad... And we don't know how we're going to make it through. And then it gets worse. Talk about your best life now. We have to have a vision of a big God. A God who is on the throne in control. Who has cleansed us from our sins. 
we've got to have a vision of a big God. Then the final line here. The holy seed is its stump. This is important. This last line. The holy seed is its stump. You ever see a stump? Tree's been cut down and then a new branch, new life is beginning to spring out of that stump. That's the picture that he gives us here. The holy seed is its stump. You see, King Uzziah, the Davidic king, the king that was at that time the fulfillment of the promise to David that you'll always have a king on the throne forever, a son that's on the throne forever and ever and ever, has just died. And the people are about to be taken into exile. And it's just going to be bad and it's going to be worse. And it's beginning to look like God's not going to be able to keep His promise. The people can be shaken. They're wondering, how is God going to keep His promise to David? And the Lord reminds Isaiah, the holy seed is its stump. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. When the fall had happened and the Lord curses the ground. He says he, put, he will put enmity between the serpent and the woman. But the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. The seed of the woman promise in Genesis is then a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. When Noah was born, his parents, his, his father said, this one may be the one who will give us deliverance from the pain and the toil of our labor. He's saying, this might be the seed, the promised one, who's going to come and crush the serpent's head. And Noah did save the world. And then we come to Abraham. God promises him a seed, a descendant, who will one day bless all nations. And then we come to David. He promises there will be a son who will sit on a throne that will last forever. When the promise seemed threatened, God reminded Isaiah of the promise, the holy seed is a stump. Well, it's going to be bad. It's going to get worse. The people are going to be taken off into exile. What's left, what remains, the holy seed is there. The one who would crush the serpent's head. The one who would be a blessing to all nations. The one who would sit on David's throne forever. The holy seed was in the stump. We look at Israel's history. A few years later, they are able to come back to the land. They're able to build the temple again. And a few more hundred years pass. 
And in Bethlehem, a baby was born who was the seed of the woman, the promise to Abraham, the son of David, who died with a sign above the cross, King of the Jews. And rose again. And ascended into heaven where he is now seated. At the right hand of the Father. Where he reigns in glory. And he is our advocate. We have one who is a great high priest. Who lives and pleads for us. The holy seed was in its stump. When things looked bad, when things looked like there was no way in the world that God could keep His promises, He kept His promises. And we have faith in the same seed that was in that stump. The baby that was born... The man that was hung, crucified, is the king who's on his throne.